All right. So, um, you know, I had set this out um, as um, two parts and we went a little long last week and maybe try to take on too much, but we, um, the five parts last week was Mary anointed Jesus, the plot to kill Lazarus, the triumphal entry. And uh, we kind of rushed through that a little bit, but um, they didn't understand it first. And we didn't really um, dive into that that much, but that was in 12, 16. And then in 20, um, some Greeks start coming to seek Jesus. Um, I've heard some pastors speak about that. Once the Greeks started seeking him, that was, it was time to get the show on the road um, and, and get to the cross. And so there's a unique event that happens there in our text here in chapter 12. Um, just to give you an overview, we'll, we'll come, we'll kind of pick up there a little bit and maybe do a little bit of, of finish up that one and do a little bit of the first one. Um, I think what I want to do this morning is just kind of ask some questions and just really kind of walk through the text with you and, um, and let you answer some of the, the questions. It's always good when you're trying to understand a text better, um, to ask, you know, a lot of questions and just, just. You know, it, it slows you down a bit and makes you um, um, make sure you, you're paying attention to the text and that you're getting the, the thing. Sometimes in asking those questions, you'll realize that you've been reading it a bunch of times and, and thinking it says one thing and realize it says something else. I sent out a brief um, outline, if you got it in your text, um, for this one in five parts. It's also on the, um, the website. Um, which I did the full version on the website should be up there now, but, um, but glorify your name is, is the first part in this part too. When I am lifted up, um, not the song, but, but, uh, but his, his text and then, uh, the importance of the light and the reality of unbelief and the summary of his teaching. And so, um, let's just kind of pick up. I know we kind of, we kind of ended in 16 the last time um, of chapter 12. And um, and so let's kind of pick back up in that scene. Um, we talked a little bit about a Mary, Mary anointing Jesus and how that was, um, you know, in, in kind of um, two other different manners. It was written a little bit different. We kind of considered that. I believe we spoke about the plot to kill Jesus, which is a little bit weird that uh, you'd be so arrogant as a human being to take someone that rose um, someone from the dead and think if you kill him, he won't raise him from the dead again. And also not to go further in your thinking to think that if um, if he killed, uh, if he if he rose one person from the dead, he could raise himself from the dead. And maybe that wouldn't be logical. Maybe you would think you, you're in it. Uh, but but. But even further than that, um, we talked about it could have been a little bit of a precursor to to the actual resurrection. So we looked at that. Um, let's see. Then uh, the triumphal entry. I wanted to read this from a I don't usually use commentary too much, but um, I asked the question, you know, as I was looking through the 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 uh, John 12, 12 to 15. Um I just kind of wondered, I asked the question, I realized it really wasn't in my heart. And so you guys can jump in if, if you've heard something in your Christian life. And I just kind of asked the question, I didn't know the answer is what was the palm trees? You know, what, what was the palm leaves all about? Why, why is it Palm Sunday? Why do they call it palms? And this is just what one commentary said. It said, the waving of palm branches, which symbolically conveyed the notion of victory over one's enemy probably indicated that the people mistakenly thought that Jesus would then and there bring national deliverance from Israel's political enemies, the Romans. Yet Jesus' popular acclaim would not last. The same people that held him here, um, here as the victor would call for his crucifixion just a few days later. And I just thought that was kind of cool. I'll read that first part again. The waving of palm branches sim symbolically conveyed the notion of victory over one's enemy. And I mean, when you look back 2,000 years later, God sovereignly coordinated them to do that. And there was a victory happening there. He was the victor. He was fixing to be the victor. There was a major battle going to be won, but it was sort of in the invisible realm and in the unseen realm. And, um, 
and and you know so i just think that's kind of neat um but any thoughts on that anyone had um any kind of palm sunday teaching by a pastor or anything or or, or were you like me that you uh or like what was the whole deal of them waving palm palm leaves well i i um i know that jesus is uh presented his arrival to Jerusalem as a future king. This was a way of uh, a future king taking his throne uh, back then. But uh, I've often wondered why, because again, he was just beginning to make people understand that his kingdom wasn't here on earth. And, uh, and yet he allowed that. And I, I only can assume that he wanted at least, at least people who feel good about who he was, because he was, this is the beginning of his true identity that he presents to people. But uh, why, why he would encourage people to have their false impression of an earthly victory, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Jeff or Mike, y'all have anything you think about that? Yeah, I'd had to consult a, a commentary as well and um had some historical significance from what i can tell and uh you know not a book that we read in our bible but um uh, first and second maccabees they showed that the palm branches were uh used as national symbols it was on some of their money on their coins it was on um it was used uh during the procession of the rededication of the temple in 164 and uh, some other national victories in battle. So um, I'm not exactly sure. Didn't say the significance of it, but just that historically it had been used uh, by the Jewish people. Yeah. So looking at that particular text, um, John, uh, Mike, what about you? I'm sorry. Did you have anything on? <laughs> no. No, not really. Um, I just remember as a as a kid growing up Catholic. I mean, Palm Sunday was a pretty big deal, you know, because they would, you know, they would give you physically um, palm branches uh, at church on on Palm Sunday, and then uh, I had a tendency to play with those as a kid, and then later uh, shred them apart, you know, just just goofing off playing around with it, you know. So, uh, but you'll definitely see people still today that um, keep them in the, the car, and you know. No different than a, their Bible, they leave on the dash, you know. So, the heat of, but, yeah, I never really um uh, thought much about it as far as the significance within scripture itself, and just I I guess assumed that it was it was a, a celebration and a, a victory or or, or a, a coronation of a king, if you will, somewhat of what we saw in Britain yesterday. Yeah. So, so just reading that that um, little paragraph real quick, 12 to 15. The next day, the large cr the crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey's cult. So here, these words are prophesied. Uh, they're saying just as it was written. Um, it was um, in Zechariah nine nine, which was a prophet. So this would be a prophecy made about the coming Messiah, and then this would be the fulfilling of it. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Um, and if you research that, it was a little odd story where he sent his disciples to go get the colt. He said, if anyone has to say the Lord needs him and that kind of thing. Um, and so after after all of that, uh, I just wanted to briefly point out, you know, just with this text, it wasn't nothing real heavy, but it was it was something to think about. You know, the palm trees would have been a historical, traditional thing. They would have had probably a more clear view of what that meant, that whole palm tree deal that we've been waiting for a king to deliver us. And uh, he's here. And so, you know, the, the commentary pointed out how that would be flighty, that the very people that have been saying, you're the man in our terms would have been saying, crucify him just a little bit later. And, pre and precisely because they want it. 
Um, it's kind of like the social justice war we see our, our, of our day. Like you can find people in our day that would say um, kind of like they've taken the hands and feet of Jesus too far, too far. They don't really know the God of the Bible, but they're all about doing some kind of community outreach. And so they will actually despise a Christian in their opinion that doesn't engage in culture enough. And this was kind of the culture of this um, at this time. You had the zealots, which were like, we need to fight to take away our nation. This is our land and the Romans have no right to be here. And they felt like the answer was for them to help God do something. And uh, this idea of just sitting back was sickening to them to sit back and wait for the Lord or to come silent or, or, or we've talked about active and passive worship when we talked about Mary and Martha a little bit, but, but they were not, the reason they were saying crucify Christ is because he wasn't at the right time engaging actively and doing something about the, the Romans and doing something about um, their oppression at that point in time. Um, so it ends up with an interesting um, phrase here that I think is helpful, um, you know, for us even today in verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified. So there's a it, there's a unique thing not to pass over right now is it says it just as it was written. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it, as it was written. So that's keying us in. The New Testament author writers keying us in that something in the Old Testament they had available because they didn't have the New Testament yet, but they had the Old Testament and written. So that would have been their Bible. So something written in the Bible they had access to has been fulfilled in this particular event I'm telling you about right now. And then he goes on, and we've, we've already seen a lot of this. He says his disciples didn't understand these things at first, but G when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and had been done to him. So it's given us this indication. It's kind of encouraging to us and the, the fact that, that we don't always realize what's happening right before us, that sometimes... Um, it takes so a point in time down the road that we realize, whoa, what he was doing there meant this. And so they're coming up to the conclusions that, you know, they must have experienced the Palm Sunday, you know, the actual Palm Sunday as like, all oh, right, we're going to finally get, you know, the team, the disciples, we're, we're finally going to do something. And, and so to see it go south, that would have been disheartening for them. But it's saying here. They didn't understand this at first, but later when he was glorified, they remembered. So what would you, that's a question I had for the, the later chapters, but just ask you real quick, when was Jesus glorified? Like just throw something out there. When he returned after his, his resurrection. Okay, you kind of you kind of cut now, but it sounded like you, when he returned after his resurrection. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I would say. Um, I guess I, I would take that same stance as after the resurrection. Um, yeah. They might not have fully understood at, until after Pentecost, once the Holy Spirit was given. But I don't know when they when this particular text is is referred to. When when did the light bulb go off for them? Was it post post um, uh, ascension? I guess you know, and uh, Pentecost and the and the Holy Spirit came, and then they started pondering all the things that had happened. But I would, when it comes to the, his glorification, I would think, yeah, after the resurrection. So he's not there after three days, and then he ascends is another thing. And we say the right hand of the Father, but then they get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as you look through chapters 14 through 16, says he will. It's good that I go away because the helper will come and he'll remind you of the things. And he would not take of his own accord, but he will take what he what I give him and give. So all of that, you know, would have all three of those things would have been glorifying him more and more. Um all right, so let's see where we had the, the written about him had done him. And then verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So there's at least some people that are continuing to press on 
with um the cause that that we we side on um to to see Jesus move forward not to see Jesus be crucified in verse 18 the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done these signs so the Pharisees said to another um you see that you gain nothing look the the world has gone after him does the King James say that another way uh that's verse what 19 um Let's see, change resource, King James, um, verse 19. It says, um, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone. I, for some reason, I thought it said the whole world um, there. I guess it says it the same way. Um but anyway, th this is one of those things. It's always smart, um, you know, when you're studying scripture and, and people start to put biases on on the, what the actual scripture says is, um, you know, things like might, many, world and all. All of those, you have to use context to see what they mean. And so sometimes um, someone will take um, a, a text and, and, and this specifically um, when, when, when we're reading this and it says, you know, the Pharisees say, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him or the whole world has gone after him. They're not talking about, you know, the Indians in America at that time, if that's what they were, they're not talking about the Canadians and the, the Canadians and the Europeans and the Mexicans down and, and, you know, they're just talking about everybody that they're aware of in their world in Israel. And um, so when you use the world, sometimes there's about, you know, some people say there's 10 meanings of the way John uses world um, in, in his gospels and in letters. Um, I think you could probably sum that down to six, but there is a variety of meanings and you have to use context um, to see. Um, so reading the last little point and we'll try to get into the, the, the section for today um, so like I said, some people say when the Greeks seek Jesus, that this is kind of a defining moment. It's an indication that it's time for him to get the show on the road and, and go to the cross. Um, but the, here, here it says in verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But it, if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm going to pause there. Um, I always love that line because if you read and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And we had just talked about that question a little bit earlier. When was he glorified? So if we take these three events, major events that, that he would write, he would, he'd be crucified. That you, that's sort of glorifying in one way, you know, um, taking on the sins of the world, but, but we was, uh, essentially would say the glorified would be the victory uh, presented in the resurrection of the body even further victory where he ascends to the right hand of the father and even more victory when the Holy spirit comes and enables his followers to build the church. Um, so it says the hour has come. So he's, he's here um, just skipping ahead to verse 27 is this moment where it says, now is my soul trouble. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come for this hour. And I just want to highlight that point. For this purpose, I've come. So he's saying the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. And these things, it, this the whole thing, the whole life, the whole incarnation, the whole being in the flesh is coming down to this point. And, and he's calling it to be glorified. It's coming to the, the resurrection. It's coming to the ascension. It's coming to the Holy Spirit coming to the people to enable them to live for like, like Christ, to be like Christ, and to build the church and to carry the message of the gospel to throughout the ages to, to the people. Um, 
But but here he says this statement, and I always love this for some reason. This is probably one of my favorite verses. It's immediately when I read it, I just said, this is good right here. Um, and it just says, truly, truly, starts off with that kind of thing. Truly, truly, barely, barely. Look in, pay attention. I'm about to say something important. And he says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Um, I guess as a young believer, and it's still one of my favorite topics, but I think we don't talk about enough, is what does dying to yourself mean? Like, what does it mean? And I would say that if you're not saved, dying to yourself wouldn't have the, it surely wouldn't have the meaning that it it, it does as a Christian, I guess you could create some theology about dying to yourself um, outside of being a Christian. That would make some sense. But but let's don't waste our time and, and let's just get straight to the reality of eternity and heaven and hell. And just what does what is being a good steward for God look like and how is that involved in dying to yourself? And so he's saying, but if it dies it bears much fruit. Now he's not talking about, he's using wheat to talk about us. He's not, he's talking about people and he's talking about them dying in some way so that they can bear much fruit. He's talking about specifically in this text about himself, that he's going to die in order to bear much fruit. But he goes on with a little more explanation in 25. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. You know, my wife talked about this concept and we had just a spontaneous Bible study talking about scripture and things one time. And she just talked about the contra, not the, the seemingly contradictions, but the uh, odd things of the Bible that like, if you try to save your life, you lose it. But if you give your life, you find it and you gain it. Like how weird is that? But back to what I was saying is we know as a believer, what makes us a Christian is that the Holy Spirit has come and lived in us and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the spirit lives in us and it it it, it, it gives us desires. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. And so when you're saved, God puts his spirit so that you have a certain knowledge that you didn't have and you have a heartbeat that you didn't have. But the problem is, is your old man still resides in the same address and it still has his, his, his desires. One of the examples that I've talked about is anyone to, if, if anyone says, I have a problem with you, Mr. Wayne, you, you, you don't need to be doing it that way. Or if I say, I have a problem with you, Mike, you shouldn't do it that way. Our, our Jeff, immediately our flesh, depending on, this is a, a sanctification test to, to figure out how far we are on our sanctification, is is the faster your flesh rises up and says, well, I got a problem with you too. Let me tell you, you know, I got my list too. That's your flesh. But your spirit, it, 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 it acts different. One good example is Christ. It, when, when they were falsely accusing him, it said he did not say a word. He then took the punishment for something he didn't do. You know, we wouldn't do that. We have too much flesh in us. We're, we're, we're not spiritual enough to, to, to take the punishment knowing that we're innocent for someone else. Um, and, but the, but the, but the, but at the text here, whoever loses his life and whoever has his life in the world would keep it for a, a for eternal life that that there is this dying of our old man the flesh and 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 it makes room for the new man to be glorified so so we'll, we'll be talking more about glory but the way god is glorified through us is as we die to our old man and we're conformed into the image of christ they see christ like even christ when they said show us the father this is in chapter 14. He says, show us the father and we'll believe. And he, he, I think it was Philip. And he says, you've been with me this long and you haven't, you asked, you asked me, you dare ask me to show you the father. Have you not seen him? So as, 
as we die to ourselves and the spirit becomes the primary driving source of us, we conform into the image of Christ and we look more and more like him. And people say those people must be Christians or those people are Christians or I've never seen people like them. And all of that is the nature and character of God being radiated out through you. But when it comes to us being good stewards of the things that God has given us, that's where it lies. Do we do we die to ourselves, or do 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 we are we still in the miry clay, letting our flesh run the run the show, or are we putting to death daily our flesh so that the spirit? Because if we just die and there's nothing to 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 push us forward. Then, then that could be an indication that the spirit of Christ is not in you. But if you die and something greater pushes you forward, then you start to, your own mind starts to see, hey, I was born with this old nature that, that gets me in trouble all the time. But when I hog tie that old nature up, then I find a new nature. I don't die. I can't just sit there. I'll give you an example. I used to do this in church. Um, I don't know if you can still do it today, but it, it was a way I learned this lesson. Is um, So I started going to a church that raised their hands, and, and I'd, I'd come from a church that didn't raise their hands. And so to raise a hand in, in the church I came from was like, whoa, that dude is serious, you know? <laughs> you know? But But when I started going to another church, it was like, to raise your hand, if you didn't raise your hands, you would cry like not a good Christian or something like like that was just the, the the norm. Well, I went through as I was working through this is I would take my hands and I'd put them behind my back and I'd be like, I'm not going to raise my hands because everybody's doing it. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But as we'd go through about four songs or so somewhere, the music would compel my soul so much that I would, I, I couldn't hold, keep my hands down. I had to express them that way, but I felt justified in doing that because I was doing it because something in my inner soul moved me to do it. And not just because everybody else was doing it, but I would discipline myself. If the spirit don't move in me, I'm not raising my hands, you know, and it, it began to teach me how to hog tie my old man so that the new man can rule and reign. So what does all that have to do with this text? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What kind of fruit, you know, in those days, what kind of spiritual fruit are you producing? I mean, we talked about earlier about them being upset because wrong because he didn't deliver them from Rome. But what did he deliver them from? He delivered them from the bondage of sin. Um, and so this last little verse, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So any any final thoughts on that? And um, we'll kind of move into the next section. Mr. Wayne, you might talk about, I think your, your audio connection, <laughs> you're like, <"Rrr." laughs> no, I'm not talking. I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm trying to find the right words to express how I feel uh, without talking about myself, because uh, <laughs> what, what God did for me, what the Lord did for me 12 years ago was to, he destroyed the old self. He destroyed the old Wayne Thomas. You would, if you, if you, you don't even know the old Wayne Thomas. He was a horrible, horrible person. But now that he's dead, I can glorify God in everything I, I feel and think and do and say. And it's a total, total change of life. And when we talk about bearing fruit, Jesus' commandment is to love others. And when we don't love ourselves more than others, we can truly bear the fruit. We can truly feel love for others that we couldn't feel before because we're too busy loving ourselves. So developing this, am I still coming through? Yeah, developing, you this, uh, this, this new, developing this new self is all about um, 
uh, you know, whenever whenever you've got to think, do, or say something, you've got. To, I just got. I have a sense of caring more for others than I care about myself. And I have a, as far as the earth is concerned, I can't wait till I leave it and go to heaven. And uh, it's a whole new feeling, but it's a process. And if you, uh, the more you, you think less of yourself and more of others, the more you are spreading the glorification of God, which is the fruit of the spirit. The more you love others, the more you're expressing God's love and Jesus' love for you. Yeah. Yeah, and I- amen to that. Amen to that, Wayne. I, I was going to add too, Dennis, the <laughs> the beauty of the way scriptures were written. Uh, you know, this this idea of about a seed falling to the ground. And we had some zinnia seeds that produce pretty flowers. And I I told this in a sermon not long ago. But if you just set those on the counter, nothing's going to happen. They're just going to sit there. They're not going to take root and produce this beautiful flower. But if you bury them. If you bury them in the ground, uh, this dead thing is going to come to life and and produce something beautiful. And so, Dennis, what you were talking about, the spiritual fruit and dying to yourself, that is so that's spot on. Because that moment, whenever we have the spirit of God inside of us and our flesh is riling up and wanting to act out, it's a beautiful thing to, to be able to get that under control and act in a different way, contrary to our nature, contrary to the world, so that they can see the, the fruit of God in us. Yeah. What you think, Mike? Uh, amen to all that. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I think Jeff uh, mentioned it, but it's, it's amazing how the way scripture is written. I mean, obviously in this case, Jesus is talking about himself, that um, he would be, quote unquote planted, you know, so a, a seed would die. Um, and I still love that, um, that book that we had looked at a while back, or at least we did in Sunday school, that, um, that JD group book, you know, where, um, where Jesus said, it's, it's better that I go away, you know? So this is a, this is a beautiful picture of that in the sense that if it would, if he would have just remained on earth, he would, he would just be that, uh, single um piece of wheat if you would that would could only be at one place at one time but being that he was that he went away and his promise was that if i go away i'll send the helper i'll send the spirit and in a sense was planted and 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 produced a harvest that would would send the spirit to every everyone who names the name of christ and in a sense we we become the hands and feet of jesus across the world you know when I say world, Dennis, I'm talking about the world, the global world. Um, you know, anyone who names the name, anyone who names the name of Christ, can can have His Spirit living in them to um, to be His hands and feet. You know, and of course, that's a that's a choice that we make to allow that to happen. Which, again, Scripture becomes more applicationable to to us that we have to die to self so that we can allow that to happen yeah just and i stink at it a lot of times just to be real yeah yeah sure um the uh back to what you said with world what what what, what's what's funny is when the bible uses many it usually always means this absolutely will happen. Uh, not many. When it says might, if you do a word search, might that that usually always means this absolutely will happen. <laughs> and when it uses all, it actually means it might happen. You know. So if you, if you study those words, all might many and world there there you just it's a great example of of trying to be in in context. You know. You good, Mike? Yeah, I mean, the last thing I was—the last thing I was going to say—is you know, just for a, a lost person to become a believer. I mean, that's that's our story too, right? Is you have to die, you have to die to self. Yeah, this this passage is talking about Jesus, but but even in his own words, he he quickly references it uh, to others as well. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it. But you know, the the first step to us becoming a Christian is, is to, uh, you know, dying to self, you know, is to, to be, you know, 
Galatians 2.20, my favorite verse in the world, where, where Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, and that's that's the story of every believer is that, you know, the only way to to have that resurrected life within us is to is to die to the old one. Yeah. So like let's let's focus in on that in three three ways. So Christ, you go back to this wheat wheat story here. Um, so Christ died and we saw him in the tomb and resurrected. And then we see like in Romans 8, 11, it says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead rise us. And when we baptize, we say, you know, um, we, 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 we speak that line. <laughs> I don't know why I can't ever remember, but buried in Christ, uh, raised to walk in the newness of life. Um, I butchered a little bit, but, but the point being is, so what Mike is saying, you know, I, I think, you know, we have an ongoing dying to the self that as, as we're as we're sitting today as believers, we can die to ourselves in, in the sanctification process so that we can be conformed more and more into the image of Christ and give more and more of the glory of uh, can radiate more of the light can of God's glory can radiate from us. But back to the point you're saying is let's just come back to the to the the person that's not a believer and what's their first step. And so you got on one side of the, if it's bookends, you got on one side, the people that have been believers for a while and they're working through the sanctification process until God takes them home. And on the other end, you got Jesus's example saying, I have to die for the sins of the world or there's no hope for you. But right there in the middle, Mike pointed out, they have to part of the initial pinpoint of the gospel. You have to die to yourself. And I think, one of our cultural problems of today is we're not making that concept clear in the churches of America. We're so busy being seeker friendly and culturally relevant that we're not, that we're, we're so worried about offending someone that we're not saying you have to die to yourself. In other words, what we're saying in that simple word is you got to stop doing stupid stuff. You've got to stop doing some bad habits. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not serious about Christ. Go ahead and get out of here. Go back to the bar, go back to wherever you were, your crack house or whatever. You're not ready to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not ready for the Holy Ghost to touch your life and give you a new heart, new and right desires. And like, I always think about those pictures, like in, I think it was David Platt used to talk about the mission fill over like in, in Asia or whatever. And what he would say is that they would be in these small churches and they would be talking to people and they would ask them if they want to believe. And they would say, yeah, yeah, I need such and such time. And, and they'd come back and they'd come back with a little backpack. And he's like, what's that backpack? And it's like, I can't go back home. You know, if I'm a Christian, I can't go back home. And I just take that, 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 that realistic picture in another culture to say, when we share the gospel, we can't just go back to our old life, our old friends, our old habits. Like if we're not ready to change some habits and to, to break off some relationships that are not good for us, we're not ready to accept Christ. I mean, dying to yourself uh, alludes to whatever it takes. You know, I, I think about the end of John 6, how it finished. You know, Jesus has stacked the odds. He has been the absolutely opposite of today's seeker-friendly gospel. And he has he has ran everybody off with his the, the difficulty of his teaching. And he looks to his disciples and he says, are you two going to go? And Peter's answer was so classic. He said, where else will we go? You alone have the words of life. Like that's where it all happens. When you realize, like, I remember being a church and having fear and trembling come on me. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on here, but I know I need Christ. And, um, and, and, and it's just whatever that looks like, whatever that takes. I mean, you have to die to yourself, lose yourself in God. Surrender all is another classic way we say that. What you think, Jeff, anything? It might be tied up. The important thing missing, most important thing that's missing is that it's a process. You know, the church can't say go away until you're ready because we're we're never really ready on our own. You know, the begin it begins when God touches our heart, but uh, it's still a process. You know, when 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 I first changed my way, 
uh, which uh, but the, when when Jesus destroyed the old way, I I started going to church, and Jesus made it clear. Okay, you're making progress, Wayne. You first learn how to love others and seriously love others. And it's a process. You don't know what you're getting into, but when we talk to people, we need to be encouraging. And I tell people, what will happen to give God a chance. And I, I try to build up the future that they're going to face rather than point out the, the current, current status. Yeah. All right. So, so let's look at at verse twenty seven. It says, "You know, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour." I always like to think with that text, like, what if he would have said, "Yeah, I'm not doing this," you know, uh, but. But save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Um, and then it says, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoke to him. Now, I think this is interesting because if you put three categories, it's giving you two here, but something happened. Let's just call it something at this point. And we're trying to discern, you know, you're, you've come in third party and you're like, what happened? What happened? You know, and and the crowd says, oh, it was just thunder. You know, okay, that's, that's one option. And then others said it was an angel spoken to him. So, so thunder, does thunder speak? You would think maybe no, but you know, at Mount Sinai, it said it sounded like thunder when God spoke, um, but then an angel spoken, but then Jesus, here's a third, um, Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. So you see this degree where one is just saying it's thunder. Another one says it was an angel. And Jesus actually says this, this, what you just heard, whether you want to accept it or not, was a voice that came for your sake, not mine. Now, if you go back to, you know, 11, when, when he healed Lazarus, you know, you had that line there. Um, where he says, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So in the same aspect here, let's see. Um, in the same aspect here, he's saying, um, Something's echoing on me. In the same aspect here, he's saying, um, th this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And what I thought was interesting in this is it says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So he's asking, Father, glorify your name. And he says, I've glorified it and I will I will glorify it again. So where where else, what comes to your mind when you think about um, where God, like from this point in time, the 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 um, the Gentiles or the, the Greeks are coming and Philip and Andrew has brought them to Jesus and Jesus has done all the events prior to that. So what, what point in time has God glorified his name before? What would your your answer be to that? Because he said, I've glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Any thoughts? You want me to give you the answer? <laughs> or a answer? Give, give us the answer, teacher. So the the two that, that they reference is, um, let me get to it. Is uh, Matthew was it the raising of Lazarus? Is was that one of them? It, it, that could be a sense, but but this would probably the the two most clear. And just talking about the voice here, 
would be um, it's in all three gospels, but in we'll go with Matthew and Matthew three seventeen. It it um it's 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 in the baptism. It says, um, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved Son." with whom I am well pleased. So that's a voice from, from heaven um, spoke. And then the other one would be the transfiguration. And the Matthew, it's, it's Matthew 17. And it says, um, you know, it's got the part there where uh, Peter had said, I'll make three tents, one for you and for Moses and Elijah. And then he said, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were ter were terrified. So you've got this, this mount, you know, at, at Mount Sinai, when, when God spoke to the people and it sounded like thunder and it brought them fear and trembling. And you've got this here at the transfiguration, you've got the baptism, and then you've got when it's time back to the text of what we're saying he 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 says uh, uh but uh uh where was it uh, i missed it um and in the gentile part he says the hour has come that the son of man to be glorified so he's glorified at the baptism and he's glorified at the transfiguration and he's fixing to be glorified at the cross the uh, you know the the resurrection the ascension um and then he'll father be glorified when when he he tells his disciples to to wait until they're dude when power on high and then we see that take place in acts two and then we see the church expand through 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 the book of acts there um so um the crowd but but this we'll kind of finish with this is uh so there's these three opinions, and that's what we deal with in, in evangelizing life and discipleship life. Everybody has an opinion, right? And um, and sometimes we 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 categorize opinions based on on certain things. But in this case, there's the crowd, like like when we were a little bit before when we were teaching in Lazarus, we kind of pictured a funeral, and there's the people in the back rows saying, Why didn't he help him? I thought he loved him. And then there was the people supported and then there was Mary and Martha. And so there was the different degrees of people that were hurting and people that had belief. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead, the belief camp got excited and, and grew a little bit that those who maybe didn't believe started believing when the same story here when, when this voice happens in this this key moment, a voice speaks from heaven to the crowd. One just says, oh, that was, what was that thunder? Like, like think of the spiritually clueless people. Like, I mean, we got people that day that if God spoke from heaven, they were like, well, what was that thunder? You know, and maybe because they're just not accustomed to the voice of the Lord. I, I don't know. But then others would say, Kind of like how we went through this text and some would say he's a prophet and some would say he was the Christ. And But there was a lot of them in their process, as Mr. Wayne was saying, was like when they're trying to answer the question of who is Jesus? Well, can he be the Christ? And then there's all these reasons of why they're like, I don't know if he can be the Christ, but he's got to at least be a prophet. I mean, how could he not be from God and be doing these wonderful things? And so in the same aspect, this voice speaks from heaven and you've got the crowd thinking it's thunder. Some are saying, well, it was probably an angel, but they're not saying it's the voice of God. It's the same thing as saying Jesus is a prophet, but he's not the incarnated God. He's not the Messiah promised of old to come. And, uh, and then, uh, but Jesus says, the, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And just a few other verses. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. Like he is laying the framework of a, of a monumental moment that's fixing to happen. And when I am lifted up from the earth, 
I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And then we'll, we'll leave you thinking about this this morning. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law. They're getting biblical now, right? They're going theological. They're bringing out their Bibles. What? You know, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. That's true, right? That's what the scripture said. So they just say, look, my Bible says the Christ remains forever. And they say, how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? And, um, and the flow of this is lifted up means crucifixion. Um, and they knew that and they're, they're uh, communicating that. And it says, who is the, they say, who is the son of man? Earlier, they said, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You know, two times this crowd has directly looking Jesus in the eye said, what's, what's the deal here? You know, and, and, and then Jesus answers, and I'll finish with this last little sort of poem or phrase or interesting story, because what's interesting to me is that right here, they just ask, who is the son of man? I mean, like, like it's odd how he handles the rich young ruler, like the rich young ruler. So what do I need to do to inherit the eternal life? You think that the people have asked the right question, right? And this is how Jesus answers, who is the son of man? He says, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you might become the sons of light. And just simply unpacking that for us today. I mean, if we're unpacking it for them, Jesus is fixing a lead. So he is the light of the world. Um, he is pointing them to God. He is giving them a chance to understand. Um, and he's saying this, he says, walk while you have the light or walk while you have me. Walk while you have me as a teacher so that darkness doesn't overtake you. If they didn't walk with Jesus as their te teacher, what happened to them? Like when the people were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Is that not an example of in their day and age where darkness overtook them because they didn't want to hear the words that he had to say? But let's look at us like sometimes God's grace through the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our ears and our heart so that we can receive his word. And 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 that's the light. So even though in this physical terms, the light left, but the light has come back in the Holy Spirit in a sense. So we still have a practical application from this little answer that he gave to them about who is the son of man. As we think about who is the son of man in, in 2023, there is a sense that, that God's spirit is talking to us. And, 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 and he's revealing himself in the form of light. And he's convicting you of the actions you shouldn't do. And he's propelling you in the actions you should do. And the things that you should think and the things that you shouldn't think. And he's working in your life. And that's considered light. But if you do not walk in the light, darkness will overtake you. This goes back to Cain and Abel when he says, your enemy is crouching at your door and he wants to put possess you. But the last verse, while you have the light, believe in the light. And what's the benefit of the light? That you may become the sons of light. That we become the children of God is, is a way that we can, we can translate that. So final thoughts. Good stuff, Dennis. Appreciate you sharing. Um, I guess I want to go back to one thing. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine is, you know, people tend to use this verse that if Jesus be lifted up and they do it in the sense of praise and worship, right? If he's lifted up, then he will draw all men to himself. 
And it just, it gets under my skin a little bit. Now I might be wrong. There might be other verse and scripture that I've never read before where it was referring to that, but it, it's very clear in this, but you guys have heard that before that, you know, praise and worship service, let's lift Jesus up so that he'll draw all men to himself. Um, this is not, and, and that, that may be a true statement, but it's not biblical statement <laughs> is yeah. that um, Jesus was referring to the type of death that he would die, that he would be lifted up. And there's no, there's no contradiction or unclarity of what was being discussed about him being lifted up in this case. He knew it. He knew what it meant when he said it. And the people knew what he meant when he said it um, because they questioned that the, that the Christ shouldn't be lifted up. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things that, um, kind of gets, uh, under my skin a little bit whenever we use things in the wrong context. Um, and, and we even go to the point to say, so that he would draw all men to himself, you know? So, um, now we know that he was indeed lifted up, but he was lifted up on a cross and that is the ultimate, uh, way that he drew people to himself, not because, we lifted his name up and that's what caused him to draw people to himself. So yeah, that's and, all I'll say. About that. <laughs> yeah, and I would try to, 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 to say this, it, you know, I, and cause I've, I've, I've thought that way and, and, you know, you think that way, but, but, but my question in, in today, you know, I can, I can sit and I can walk through pastor sermons with you all day long and, and point out how little they actually use scripture. And then if they use it, a lot of times they use it, you know, out of context. Um, they use it to say whatever they want to say. But the the great the grand focal of what they do when they deliver their sermon is something about them or something about society or something about self-help or something. You know, but but it it's rare for you to find a pastor that starts up off with praise God, Jesus is awesome. And the gospel is awesome and the scripture is awesome and the graces that God has shown us is awesome. Let me tell you about them. Look at what he did for Moses. Look at what he did for Abraham. Look at what he did for Sarah. Look at what he did for David. You remember when David did that? He forgave him when David asked him to and weeped and, you know, and forgiveness is awesome. You know, like rarely do we ever hear a message like that. And so back to what you said. I'll draw all men if I'm lifted up. What does lifted up mean? In this text, it means the cross. But but could it also mean his word? Could it also mean his character, his, his nature, his attributes, his faithfulness to people? And so my question is, in most preaching, when you take a sermon and you listen to it today or a podcast or whatever, is it lifting Jesus up is is it like John three thirty where John said I must decrease he must increase is the pastor trying to get out of the way of God is he trying to get out of the way of the Holy Spirit is he trying to get out of the way of Christ is he trying to get out of the way of Scripture is he really trying to just be a host giving them the bread of life. Is he just trying to show them the one that can open their eyes in a way that he can never do it? You know, and and so in that sense, I do think we do have hope in America. We do have hope at any day, at any time, at any age, if we will truly get out of the way and lift up Christ. The gospel can still save. The Holy Spirit can still empower. The God God can still feed. He can still be faithful. He can still rescue. He can still deliver. But 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 do we talk about that in our music of today? Do we talk about that in our preaching of today? But what I can tell you is that is sheep food because it's not appealing to someone that doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. It is not appealing for the one that's not a Christian. And we need to stop as, as churches bowing down to unsaved people and start doing what God's called us to do so that it will reveal the unsaved people and they can get saved because it's not really that unloving. They just come and say, I don't really, I don't understand what you're talking about. Would you like to? <laughs> Let's go to the scriptures. 
You know, we, we have people that can go to our churches today and, and be unsaved and just hang out for, for like a little, some kind of, you know, country club type thing. And that shouldn't be. And, and we're going to have to, we're, we're going to be held accountable to that at whatever role we serve in that. So I'm a, um, I see Jeff got off. I'm going to end this and then uh, we'll, we'll close in prayer. Um,